Amen. All right, great singing tonight, great time of worship. And uh, I want that preacher. I'm, yeah, yeah, we changed the plans tonight. I'm preaching a message I wasn't going to preach, and uh, but I'm going to preach it now, so I'm going to use this. And uh, Squire Parsons, uh, kind of, I've been uh, meetings with him many, many times, and uh, he wrote Beulah Land. That's one he's most famous for, but he's uh, another one, Master of the Sea, and numbers of others. He's actually written over 5,000 songs. He's like a Fanny Crosby of our day, and a lot of songwriters are not really appreciated until they're dead and gone, and sometimes for even a long period of time after they're gone. But Squire's a great guy, and um, loves the Lord. He's a real real, real deal. Thank you for being here on this Tuesday evening. We've had great weather all week. It did get a little windy before church and was a little bit uh, sprinkling outside, which sometimes cause, uh, cause most Baptists to shelter in place. And, uh, and uh, but, but you came to church, and I'm glad you did. How many of you have been here every service since Sunday morning, hold up your hand. All right. How many of you have been here every service except one? Hold up your hand. Well, a few of you. And then how many of you, this is your first service to the crusade this week? Wow, I've got a bunch of new ones tonight. Thank you so much. And I know there's a couple of pastors here. My brother-in-law, Steve, wave at me back there, Steve, and Connie's uh, younger, older brother. And... Uh, I told the truth then. He is the younger, older brother. And then uh, uh, Keith Neal. Where's Brother Keith? I saw Keith earlier, right over here. And uh, any other pastors here tonight? Brother Jacob, of course. Any other pastors right here? Good to have you, sir. Do I know you? You do. I do. I'm talking about the guy behind you, but I'll let you talk to me too. That's all right. I can carry on two conversations at one time. Ask my wife. I, I really can and uh, appreciate you being here as well. Thank you. Great worship tonight. Take your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. I'm going to preach a totally different message than I intended earlier this afternoon. I had fairly, fairly much, 100% for sure, I was going to preach from the book of Luke, chapter 5, but now I'm going to go a completely different direction. This is the leadership of the Lord, and so I'm trying to be obedient and uh, do what he wants me to do tonight. As, so this is actually a message about our nation tonight, about America. And of course, this is a big, a major burden of mine. And, um, but we used to, our ministry used to have a publication. We printed a, a, a newspaper, a Christian uh, newspaper for several years, many years, uh, called Target. And we printed it uh, monthly. And we, at, at the height of it. We were sending out 60,000 uh, copies a month. And uh, then the postage and the paper price just got too high, and we were spending having more advertisement than we were having content, so we just didn't do it anymore. But we print a lot of sermons in there from uh, pastors, preachers in the past, and then put some of my own sermons. And one of my board members sent me a copy of a sermon that, that that I had preached that was in one of those papers that I, and I had not uh, thought about that message in years. I preached it, the, the one that we put in print, I preached it in Chattanooga at Highland Park Baptist Church. There were 7,000 people there 
uh, that night, and most of them were pastors. And uh, so this was a burden back then, and this burden is even far, far heavier tonight as I preach and talk to you about our country. Let me, re let me read from Isaiah chapter number 1, and, um, and, and let me start with verse number 1, all right? If you don't have a Bible, you can look on with someone close to you. Pastor, I'm going to need that in just a little bit. I love to watch your pastor work, and uh, thank you, sir. And uh, he does. He has a servant's heart, and I love that about your pastor. A lot of things I love about him, but he's got a servant's heart and uh, a sweet, sweet spirit. Look at verse number one, the vision of Isaiah. Now, this other night we talked about of Habakkuk and how that most prophets would speak to the people for God, but Habakkuk was speaking to God for the people. But this is Isaiah speaking to the people for God, and it's a hard message. Sometimes God delivers a hard message, and uh, many times we want preachers to sugarcoat and uh, make it easy and, uh, and to go soft, but every once in a while, we need the preacher just to rear back and preach it hard. And this is a hard one. Look at this. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, hear, O heavens, and give ear. O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. Now, if the Lord has spoken, it's time to set up and pay attention. It's time to open our ears, and it's time to listen. I've nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. Verse 4. Ah, oh, sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They forsaken the Lord, they provoke the Holy One of Israel unto anger, and they are gone away backward. Go to chapter number two. Same book, Isaiah chapter number two. When I turn to pages, I like to hear yours turn in two. Isaiah chapter 2, look at verse number 8. This is a biblical definition of humanism. Humanism is not a new religion. It's a, another religion, but it's not new. It's as old as Cain. Cain's problem was he didn't want to do it God's way. He wanted to do it his way. That's humanism. I, so Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 8 is a, is a great definition of humanism. Their land also is full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. No longer worship the creator, but worshiping that which man has made. Look at verse number 11. The, loft, the lofty looks of man shall be humble, and haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. I want you to remember that statement. The Lord alone shall be exalted. Look at verse 17. Almost the same thing. 
and the loftiness of men should be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men should be made low, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. So if God says something once, that's pretty important, don't you think? If God says something one time, that's important. If God says something twice, that would be even maybe doubly important. Now look, if you would, at chapter 3 and verse number 8. For Jerusalem is ruined, and Judah is fallen, because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. This has to be one of the saddest commentaries that could ever, ever be said of a nation, any nation. Isaiah says, for Jerusalem is ruined. If we were to pick up a major newspaper tomorrow, as much as we may disdain the Washington Post or the New York Times or any other big liberal newspaper, if we were to pick it up and we were to read big three-inch headlines, America is ruined, I believe it would shake us all to the core. But here it is in the Word of God and, and Isaiah saying this about Jerusalem, about Israel, about Judah. They're ruined. We all know that Israel is not America and America is not Israel. Don't confuse that. We all know that. However, I strongly believe that America and any other nation could learn great lessons from this nation called Israel. From the word of God. And by the way, I will say this tonight with the onset of my message. I believe that we are seeing the judgment of God in America. And I believe that if we don't repent and Jesus doesn't come soon, we're going to see judgment like we've never seen before. In America. And I said to someone today, we were fellowshipping at my, at my, um, is any of my other cousins here tonight? I got any other cousins here besides Betty Lou? We were fellowshipping today at my favorite cousin's house. And, uh, I, I said that I believe, I believe I told my Aunt Marilyn that I, if we don't see revival, if we don't repent, we, the, and, and America doesn't turn back to God, God, if God does not judge America, he would owe Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Sometimes I think we make Sodom and Gomorrah look like a Sunday school picnic. As horrible and terrible as it was in their day, then what's going on in our country today? Does God care about nations? Does God care about countries? Of course he does. He declares that righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. He also said that the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. So I guess God does care about nations. Matter of fact, there, there will be several judgments which are yet to come and one of the judgments is the judgment of the nation of Israel itself, which is yet to come. And then the Bible said the judgment of the nations of the earth are all going to be judged. So God does care. What does it mean to be ruined? What does that mean? The state of being physically destroyed, collapsed, or decayed. The state of being extensively harmed or damaged. 
And I will tell you tonight, friend, I've been living for 70 years. And, and our nation has been harmed. And our nation is being harmed tonight. I worry and I concern myself about the enemies of the world that hate America. I think, I don't think China is our friend. I don't think China wants America to prosper. I believe China would just assume that America were destroyed. China is a communist nation. A lot of people think communist is not as bad as it used to be, but I guess you ought to go tell some of those people that are in persecution in those countries. And I concern myself about Iran, and I concern myself uh, about North Korea and other nations as well. But you know what concerns me more tonight is the enemy, not outside of America, but the enemies that are on the inside of America, that are trying to harm and trying to destroy our great nation. Tonight, I want us to look at the root problem concerning America. I've been to a lot of other countries. And I don't know enough about any of them to tell you what their root problems are, except that most of them are heathen nations that I've been to, and they need God. And that's all I know about most of them. I've been to India. I've been to New Delhi. I've watched as the cows walk down the streets because they believe that ancestors, that's their ancestors. They actually believe that that cow is their ancestors. And they warned me about that one, one evangelist had come over there and they had a crusade, five, 6,000 people, and he got up and preached about the fatted calf and they literally ran him out of town. <laughs> yeah. Somebody, sometimes I guess you better know who your crowd is a little bit. But. So I'm not claiming tonight to be an expert. However, I have made a personal investment in America by literally giving both of my legs to this country. I think I've earned the right a little bit to say something about what's going on. Plus, for the past 42 years, I've traveled well over 6 million miles by plane, and no telling how many miles by car, to 49 states. I've been to 49. There's one state I've never been to. I've never been to North Dakota. And for years and years and years, I told people, I don't even know if anybody lives up there. But we're going to find out in September, because I'm supposed to preach in North Dakota in September. But we'll find out if they're really up there or if they sent me a fake email. What is the blame tonight for America's decline? What is it that is causing America to be ruined? Where, where can we put the finger? Where's the blame? I believe I can tell you exactly what has happened. Throughout the Bible, throughout the Word of God, any time that you find God getting the glory, things are going good. Anytime that you find when someone else or something else is getting the glory, things are going wrong. What happens when God gets the glory? Things go right. What happens when he doesn't get the glory? Things go wrong. Remember, when Lucifer, the fallen angel, the son, it was called the son of morning, decided that he was set on God's throne, he wanted to be on God's throne. That's why Satan and his crowd 
would never like heaven today because the Bible says eight times in Revelation chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 21 that God is sat, S-A-T. You know what that means? It means he's fixed. He's not moving off the throne for the devil or for you or for me or anyone else. His throne is fixed. It's immovable. And God's not giving up his throne for the devil. He's not giving up his throne for angels, and he's not giving up his throne for men. He is God. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are, cre they are and were created. God made it all. In Genesis 11, the people of the earth got together, and they decided... To make themselves a name. And they said, go to, let us build a city and a tire whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. They want a name for themselves. I know a lot of preachers today trying to make names for themselves. It's not about my name. It's not about your name. It's about the name that's above every name. We sang about that name tonight. It's about the name of Jesus. And him high and lifted up. When God gets the glory, everything goes right. When God doesn't get the glory, everything goes wrong. There was time in America. Now listen, friend, we've never been a perfect nation. We've never been perfect. But there was a time in America when we respected God. And when we honored God. And even when we worshiped God. There was a time when we had a proper fear of God and a time for God and a room for God. Did you know when I was growing up that, that they didn't play any kind of sports on a Wednesday night in any of your public school system? Did you know that? They didn't play, they didn't play sports on Wednesday night. You want to know why? Because the school know, knew that was prayer meeting night. They knew that. They had respect for the church and what was going on at the church. And now, Con and I travel across America. We go down to our hotel on Sunday morning, get a bite to eat before we go to church, and there's all kinds of sports teams on Sunday morning going out to play ball. We don't respect God anymore. We don't reverence God anymore. The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We don't have time for God. When we don't honor God and when we don't worship God and when we put him second place, things will go wrong. Our forefathers were not trying to kick God out of a new nation. They wanted God in America. In 1812, Francis Scott Key, in God we trust, first arrived in the U.S. political consciousness during the War of 1812. Francis Scott Key, having witnessed the bombardment of Fort McHenry by the British in Baltimore Harbor in 1814, wrote a poem. It was titled, The Defense of Fort McHenry, which would later become the lyrics of the U.S. National Anthem, which a lot of people don't have respect for it anymore either. It's now, we call it the Star Spangled Banner. In the fourth and the last stanza of the poem, Key wrote these words, and this be our motto, in God is our trust. Some of you don't know what I'm about to tell you, but America has a motto. Do you know what our motto is? 
It's on your currency. It's on your money. In God we trust. Our forefathers weren't trying to kick God out of America. They wanted God in America. And when God gets glory, when God gets honor, things go right. When we're trying to kick God out, things go wrong. While we all know that the Union won the war and the Confederacy was defeated early in the war, the outcome was less than certain. The Secretary of State at that time, a man by the name of Salmon P. Chase, wrote in late 1861, this is right after the war had started, or maybe a year into the war, responding to a letter he received from Reverend Watkinson from Pennsylvania. And he wrote these words, No nation can be strong except in the strength of God, or safe in except, in his, except in his defense. The trust of our people in God should be declared on our national coins. This is the Secretary of State saying this in 1861. In a time of war, Chase felt that the U.S. should proclaim his trust in God in a very public way. And ladies and gentlemen, they were not talking about the God of the Hindu. They were not talking about Buddha. They were not talking about the God of the Muslim. They were talking about the God of this Bible. The one true and living God. That's what our forefathers were talking about. By 1863, right in the middle of the Civil War, the U.S. Congress passed a law stating that a motto signifying trust in God should be placed on coins on the front when they first came out, was printed, Our God and Our Country. And on the back, the coin read, In God We Trust. Congress approved the design on April 22, 1864, before the war was over. And the first coins began to appear in circulation later that year. Later laws passed in 1865 and 1873 ignored the use of Our God and Our Country, but continued to approve the use of In God We Trust. Our forefathers. July the 30th, 1956. Mark, when Congress and then President Dwight D. Eisenhower approved In God We Trust to become America's nation, nation's motto a year after it was authorized and signed to be on all paper money and coinage. Listen to the original Pennsylvania Charter. William Penn wrote these words in 1701. It was the original charter for the state of Pennsylvania. Some of you are not going to believe this, but just check it out for yourself. And I quote, All persons who profess to believe in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, shall be capable, notwithstanding their other persuasions and practices in point of conscience and religion, to serve this government in any capacity, both legislatively and executively. I was... Our forefathers, William Penn. He said, well, Tim, what does the, the Constitution say something about separation of church and state? No, actually it does. And I know you've been taught that. I know you've been told that. And we've been crammed, had that crammed down our throats. You will not find that phrase anywhere in our Constitution. It doesn't exist. What does exist is the First Amendment, which says Congress shall make no law respecting establishment of religion, nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. 
You know what that means? That means there's nothing wrong with you and I getting involved in government. We should be involved in government. We need Christians involved in government. We need good moral people involved in government. But it says that the government cannot get involved in the business of the church. George Washington, our first president, said it's impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. That's your first president. Can't govern without God and the Bible. Most of America's universities were started by preachers and churches. You're going to recognize some of them. You ready? Harvard, Princeton, Brown, Rutgers, Dartmouth were all founded by preacher and church affiliation, every single one of them. Harvard's original seal, which can still be seen today. Now, you better hurry get to go see it because you got this cancel culture that's trying to get rid of anything that's patriotic, anything that has anything to do with God in America. They're trying to cancel it all. Better go see it fast. It's still there right now, though. The original seal of Harvard says, and I quote, it's in Latin, truth for Christ and the church. That's Harvard's original seal. Wow. How far have we come? In the Washington Monument, I dropped something else, but I don't need that. I can't pick a guitar. I don't, I don't need that. In, in our nation's capital, uh, when our kids were smaller, one of the greatest vacations our family took was to Washington, D.C., and we've been to Disney World, Disneyland, Knott's Berry Farm, Six Flags. We rode the roads and all that. But we went to our nation's capital for a week with another family. And it was one of the most outstanding vacations we ever had. A lady by the name of Carolyn Sunself, she was the religious liaison for President Ronald Reagan. And I, I was at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. I don't even know how it happened, but they put me at the head table. I don't know how it happened. They put me at the head table. I was seated by Carolyn Sunset, President Reagan's religious liaison, and she was a happy woman. She loved the Lord. She was saved. She was so excited. Be, I'm telling her my testimony and what I did. And So before we left, she gave me her card with a phone number. She said, if you ever come to Washington, D.C. with your family, let me know, and we'll, I'll give you a special tour of the White House. And so we did. We went. And this is not one of those where you go get a ticket from your congressman and take this ritual tour. This was after hours. It's like 9 o'clock at night. And they took us into the White House and showed us things a lot of people don't ever get to see. It was outstanding. We didn't ride any rides that week with our kids, except unless you count a taxi ride. That was pretty exciting some of the time. But if you go to your nation's capital, and again, you better go quickly. You will find God's word inscribed all over. I'm not just, I'm not talking about one or two places. I'm talking about all over. In the Washington Monument, in the Washington Monument, we're at the highest point of our nation's capital, in the capstone, are the words engraved, Laos Deo, which means praise be to God. When God gets the glory, things go good. When God doesn't get the glory, things go bad. At the very 
highest point of our capital. On purpose are the words, to God be the glory. In the Washington Monument, as you go up the steps in the monument, you find all kinds of engravements on marble and on the stone inside the, inside the monument. And let me give you just a few of them to, uh, this evening. Now, these are engraved on the, step, on the wall as you go up the steps. Here's one, and I quote, holiness to the Lord. Here's another one, quote, search the scriptures. Here's another one, the memory of the just is blessed. Here's one, parents, Proverbs 22 and verse 6 is engraved. I've seen it with my own two eyeballs. Train up a child and away he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. I'm here to tell you tonight that our forefathers were not trying to kick God out of America. They wanted God in America. In, in the Capitol building, in the United States Capitol building, in the house chamber is the inscription, in God we trust. Also in the house chamber, above the gallery doors, stands a marble relief of Moses surrounded by 22 other lawgivers. At the east entrance of the Senate chamber are the words, annuity copidius, which is Latin for, quote, he has favored our undertakings. The words in God we trust are also written over the southern entrance. In the rotunda, so beautiful, in the rotunda, this is where the, if they have a state funeral, if a president dies, they take and they put the body in the rotunda and people pass by out of respect. But in, the, in our nation's capital, in the rotunda, the rotunda is the painting of the baptism of Pocahontas. And I'm not talking about Elizabeth Warren. I'm talking about Pocahontas. And also... Uh, including that painting, is the embarkation of the pilgrims that show the pilgrims praying on shipboard led by William Brewster. Clearly seen is an open Bible in this painting. And the words, quote, the New Testament according to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is there today, right now, in the capital in the rotunda. And then the words God with us are also inscribed on the sail of the ship. In the Capitol's chapel is a stained glass window. We went there. We had a special tour of that as well. A window depicting George Washington in prayer under the inscription, This Nation Under God. And also the prayer from Psalm 16.1 is etched in the window which states, Preserve me, God, for in thee do I put my trust. God gets the glory. But now for the past 50 years, for the past 50 plus years, we've had a group of people in this country trying to kick God out of everything. They don't want him in our government. They don't want him in our schools, our businesses, homes, kicking God out. Gloria Steinem a political activist and one-time head of NOW, and the face for the feminist movement in the late 1980s said, and I quote, by the year 2000, 
We will, I hope, raise our children to believe in human potential, not God. It's an incredible con job when you think of it to believe something now in exchange for life after death. Five seconds after she's dead, she'll know different than that. To raise our children to believe in human potential. That's Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 8. Humanism. No longer God. I told a couple of three men, we were talking to Judge Vaughn Sunday morning, that I, my biggest concern about our government is not the executive branch. I am concerned about the White House. It's not the legislative branch. I am concerned about who's running Congress. I am concerned about all that. But I believe my biggest concern tonight is the judicial branch of our government because it is the judges of America for the past 50 years who have repeatedly said, we don't need God anymore. President, the first President Bush announced that we were going to war. Iraq had, and Saddam Hussein had invaded a little country called Kuwait. And they were raping their women and killing their children. He announced on a Wednesday night, I was in Houston, Texas, he announced on Wednesday night that we were at war. It was so somber when the President spoke to the nation that night. And he said two things that night that gave me hope. He said, number one, we will not make our soldiers fight with one arm tied behind their back. That was a direct reference to Vietnam. Vietnam War didn't have to last for 15 years. It could have been over within 100 days if the politicians would have stayed out of it. And South Vietnam would still be a free country today. But then he also said this at the end of his speech. He looked into those cameras and he said, I'm asking all of America to pray. You want to know something? We did. We prayed. The Dallas Morning News said on Monday after the first Sunday of the war that church attendance in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex was up an average of 25%. Why? We were praying. We knew that we deserved the judgment of God, but we were praying for the mercy of God. And for all practical purposes, that war was over with in 100 days, and we had won. Five weeks later, in Ohio, a liberal judge, one judge, declared that it was unconstitutional to pray at high school commencement exercise. Wait a minute. The president five weeks ago said we need to pray. The judge said you can't pray. Who are you going to listen to? God's not going to be used like a fire escape. God's not going to be used like the spare tire in the trunk of your car. God does not want America to be dependent on him just in the bad times. He wants us to be dependent upon him all of the time. When God gets the glory, things go good. When he does not get the glory, things go to pieces. Things break apart. We teach our children, we teach them long enough that they come from animals, then don't be surprised if after a while they begin to act like animals. I told you it was a hard message tonight. You'd, really, you'd enjoy the other one probably a whole lot better. But you know I'm telling you the truth.
quoted that verse about humanism in the preceding verse in chapter Isaiah chapter 2 says, Their land also is full of silver and gold, neither is there any end of their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, neither is there any end of their chariots. In other words, they were satisfied. And I'm afraid that's where we're at. Some of you don't realize it tonight, but your nation is bankrupt. I'm talking about financial bankrupt. We have a debt tonight of $28 trillion. I didn't make that up. I can't even fathom it. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have enough math and much, enough education to, to fathom $28 trillion. I guess they will just print some more money. Somebody's going to pay for it somewhere. If the Lord tarries, it's coming. Grandma and Grandpa, Mom and Dad, it's not going to be you. It's going to be your children. It's going to be your grandchildren. We are saddling them with all this debt. Today, America doesn't want God. We're satisfied. We're spoiled rotten. It's a tragic thing for a nation to know God and then turn away from God. I've often said it would be better for a nation not to know God than to know God and then turn their back on God. Jeremiah 2 and verse 32, My people have forgotten me days without number. People declare they don't want religion in our public schools, but I got news for you, friend. It's there. It's called humanism. It's there. So what is the root problem? Are you ready? Is it abortion? That wicked and hideous act that has become America's holocaust? Friend, as horrible as abortion is, it is not the root problem. It's a symptom. So is the root problem the teaching of evolution? Well, I believe that this teaching has done great damage to our children in America. But evolution is a symptom. It's not the root. I almost missed a page, and some of you are wishing I had it, but I didn't. If you're still with me, say amen. amen. Is the root problem racism? I abhor racism. It's caused so much trouble, our nation fought a civil war over it. Racism is a horrible sin, but it's not the root problem. It's a symptom. It's a homosexuality. Who would have ever believed 30 years ago that we would have marriage in America between two men and two women? Who would have ever believed that? No. But now we've normalized it. It's a, it's a problem, but it's not the root problem. Is it alcohol? Oh, that's a serious enough problem. It's ruined a lot of homes and a lot of lives. Is it drugs? This too is a serious issue. But these are symptoms. Is it Hollywood? Is it the musical instrument? Is it pornography? All these are horrible things, and they're doing damage to America, and they're helping to ruin our country. Is our, our trust in man? I told People the other night that there's no political party going to save this country, folks. And I just need you to understand that and quit putting your faith and trust in politicians. Politicians will lie to you. And you will be deceived. I think you ought to vote. I think you ought to be involved. I think you ought to find people that the main test, find out what they believe about abortion. If they're wrong on abortion, they're probably wrong on every other issue. 
I've heard people say, if we could only have Billy Sunday, if we could just get Billy Sunday back in America, if we could have D.L. Moody or W.A. Criswell or Adrian Rogers, let me tell you something tonight. We don't need them back. We need God back. That's the root problem. And that is the answer tonight. Psalms 33 and verse 8, let all the earth fear the Lord, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. We do not fear a man. The fear of man brings a snare, Proverbs 29 and verse 25. We need to get back to a holy fear and a holy reverence of Almighty God. When man fears and honors God, things go right. When man doesn't fear and doesn't honor God, things go wrong. That's the problem. That's the root. We don't want to give him credit. We don't want to give him praise. We've stolen his glory. Let me close by looking at the testimony of Scripture tonight. It all begins with Genesis 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God. Where it all starts, people. Even in the flood, God found a man by the name of Noah who found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and God received glory from Noah. One way or the other, he's going to get glory. It would be better if we give him the glory. Moses meets God in a burning bush. He takes his shoes off because he's standing on holy ground on ground because God would get honor and glory from his life. The children of Israel cross the Red Sea. Pharaoh and his armies are defeated, and God gets the glory. Joseph is sold into slavery by his own brother. It looks horrible, it looks terrible, and Satan means it for evil, and God turns it around and makes something good out of it, and God gets the glory. The walls of Jericho come down, God gets the glory. Elijah on Mount Carmel facing the prophets of Baal, and Elijah prays that 63-word prayer, and fire falls down from God, and God gets the glory. They took the widow's crews of all, and they multiplied it, filling all the containers in the house, and God got the glory. Gideon's army of 300 wins the battle, and God gets the glory. Daniel in a lion's den. Daniel didn't learn how to pray in the lion's den. He was praying before he got there, and because he prayed, God got the glory. I don't need that anymore, preacher. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of a furnace heated seven times hotter than ever before, and they don't even have the smell of smoke upon them, and God gets the glory. David kills Goliath with a stone and a slingshot, and God gets the glory. Elijah receives the mantle of Elijah, and God gets the glory. Job loses everything, but he wouldn't turn his back upon God, and God ends up blessing Job more than he ever had before, and God ends up getting the glory. Nehemiah rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem when it looked like it was impossible, and God gets the glory. Jesus is born of a teenage virgin. John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. It's all about God getting the glory. A little boy's lunch, 5,000 is fed. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't say no food or no drink in the worship house today? They fed 5,000 people in the worship house that day. That God got the glory. Jesus 
raises Lazarus from the dead, and God gets the glory. A woman at the well, Jesus tells her everything about her life, and God ends up getting the glory. Zacchaeus comes down from a sycamore tree, and God gets the glory. Jesus willingly walks up Calvary's hill, lays down his life, shed his blood, and dies upon an old rugged cross. Three days later, he gets up from the grave bodily, physically. He raises up from the grave, and God gets the glory. Wow. Even a thief on the cross turns to Jesus, and God gets the glory. When the power came on the day of Pentecost, God got the glory. When Stephen was stunned, God got the glory. Saul on the road to Damascus, he's been persecuting Christians and hating on Christians and killing Christians. And God changes his life. And, and he writes more books in the New Testament than anyone else, and God gets the glory. Folks, we have to get back. All of us have to get back to giving him the glory in our lives. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 12, saying with a loud voice, I don't like loud preachers. I don't like loud singing. I don't like loud services. You better get used to it. It's going to be loud in heaven. Same with a loud voice. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Revelation 19.1, and after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven. There's going to be a lot of us there saying hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Revelation 19, 6, and I heard as it were a voice of a great multitude, and as a voice of many waters and the voice of many thundering, saying hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent ringeth. All through the book, all through the book, when God gets the glory, everything's good. And that's what we're going to be doing in heaven, friend. I'm not for sure some of you really all that excited about heaven. You know what we're going to be doing in heaven? We're going to be giving him the glory. For all of eternity, we're going to be giving God the glory. So if we're going to be doing that for all of eternity, don't you think we ought to get a little bit of practice down here? Of course. That's what we do. We come to church, we sing these songs. Lord Jamie let us in tonight, and we're giving God glory. We're lifting him up. But folks, we can't just do it at the church house. If you want to make a difference in America, and you want to change your community, and you want to change your schools, and you want to change your nation, we've got to do it in the streets. We've got to begin to say to the devil and his crowd, enough is enough. We're not letting you have any more of this country, devil. We're going to fight for it. We need good judges. And I'll tell you what else we need. We need Christian school board members. We need Christian city council members. We need Christian county commissioners. We need people who love God, that would honor God. We need state representatives and state senators and state governors. And we need congressmen and senators and Presidents who love God, not just talk it, but actually walk it. 
You say, well, I'll get involved in politics, but man, it's so dirty. That's all the more reason why we need good people to get involved. So we can bring this country. One more time. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 11. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiest of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. I just leaving you with my burden tonight. Kind of strange the way God turned my message from where I was going because I actually feel like that message would have worked a lot better with what I'm doing tomorrow night. But I believe I obey God tonight. Here's what I'm pleading. Here's what I'm begging. For you to get a burden for your nation. For you to get a burden. Young people. You teenagers and young people, do you know that most revivals in America that's happened in our history started with young people. That's true. Young people. I've about given up on my generation. And even my children's generation. I haven't given up on you. And what about if a Groupie, it doesn't take a big number. There were only 12 disciples, and one of them was a bad egg. And there was only 120 in the upper room. And yet they turned their world upside down for Jesus. They turned their world upside down. A bunch of them were misfits. They were from every walk of life. And yet they sold out to God. And in their lives, living for him, they gave God glory. And God used them. Wouldn't it be great? I know God's sovereign. We sang about the sovereignty of God tonight. I know God is sovereign. I get that. I understand it. But I also know that he will not send revival to where he's not wanted to where he's not given the glory, to where he's not respected, to where he's not desired. He, get, he sends revival to a people that wants it and desires it and is hungry for it and thirsty for it. It's my heart tonight. I'm telling you. Leave here with a burden. Broken. How much time do we have left in America? I don't know. I see my country being, it, it's, it's every day, it's a step further away from God. Horrible, these, these shootings. And, and, and the liberals' answer is always more gun control. If, if gun control works, Chicago would be a crime-free city. And... and Truth of the matter is, you see, here's the deal. Let's say that, let's say that they pass a gun law that, that you can that, that no one can own any guns. Let's just say they do that. That they pass a law, no one can own any guns. And so let's just pretend that we all run down to the sheriff's office at the end of the week and turn in our guns. We're not going to. But let's just pretend that. Do you know who is not going to turn their guns in? 
the criminals are not going to turn their guns in. So if all the good people turn theirs in, the ones that are left are the criminals. Common sense, people. Think about it. Our problem in America is a sin problem. It's a sin. So it starts with you and I humbling ourselves before God at an old-fashioned altar and us confessing our own sin, not confessing other people's sins, but confessing our own sin. And getting right with God. Let's bow our heads tonight. Christians in a prayerful attitude. How many would say tonight, Tim, I know I'm saved. I know if I die, I'd go to heaven. I remember the day when Jesus Christ came into my life and he changed my life. I'm not talking about being a Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, Church, Christ, Assembly of God. I'm not talking about Catholic, anything else. Tim, I know that I'm saved. If I died right now, I know I would go to heaven and I'm not ashamed of it. Let me see your hand tonight. Just put it up for a moment. Make sure I can see it. What a great testimony. You can take them down. Friend, don't ever be ashamed or embarrassed for a preacher to ask you that question. And, and for you to be able to give testimony at church. If you could not raise your hand and there were some who couldn't, I want to tell you I appreciate you being honest. You could have put your hand up when everybody else did. I wouldn't have known the difference. You would have and God would have. In a moment, in just a minute, I want you to let me pray for you. I want to talk to those that raise their hands tonight. How many would say, Tim, I know I'm saved. I know I'm a Christian. But I also know there's some things in my own life that are not right with God. There are things in my own life the Lord is not pleased with. There are things that I need to get right with God and so with. I'm not going to do God much good. I'm not going to do my country much good. In the spiritual condition that I'm in, pray for me tonight that I could have these things right between me and God. Let me see your hands tonight. Hold them up high. Numbers and numbers and numbers and numbers of hands. You can take them down. And friend, tonight I'm going to ask you to come. When we have our invitation time in a moment to leave your seat and go to the nearest aisle and come and get alone with God. You say, Tim, can I do it in my seat? Most of the time that's pride. And God doesn't honor pride. We need to humble ourselves. You say, well, what are people going to think? It does not matter what people think. What matters is what God thinks. Matter of fact, we're going to be happy. We're going to rejoice with you. You get to leave here tonight singing victory in Jesus, knowing everything's right between you and God. So I ask you to come tonight and get along with God. Christians, how many would say, Tim, I know you told the truth tonight. And friend, I didn't even tip, I didn't even chip at the tip of the iceberg. You know I didn't. There's so many things tonight we didn't even talk about. And you know I'm telling you the truth. How many would say, Tim, I too am tired of seeing America destroyed. I'm tired of seeing America sold down the drain. I too want some kind of a semblance of a great country for my children and my grandchildren if the Lord tarries his coming. And I want us to get back to giving God some glory and respect and honor. And I want that kind of a burden for my country. I want that kind of a burden for my nation tonight. I really am serious about it, Tim. Not playing games with God. I want that kind of a burden for America. Let me see your hands tonight. Hold them up high. Wow. And folks, you can take them down. I'm telling you what would touch God. If he looks down here on a Tuesday night in Hamilton County, the outskirts 
from McLeansboro, Illinois, and he sees people on their knees before God begging for revival and saying, God, we want to honor you and, and give you glory just to come tonight and get alone with God. In the next few moments, you'll have an opportunity to do that. You don't have to be a member of 10 Mile to participate in this. This is for everyone. Right before we sing, the pianist plays very quietly. I want to ask the most important question, where will you spend eternity? Friend, all of this doesn't matter to a hill of beans if you don't know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, what I said tonight doesn't have any effect on you. Wouldn't you like to know that when you died, you'd go to heaven? Wouldn't you like to know when you died, you'd spend eternity with God in heaven? You're going to spend eternity somewhere, either in heaven or in hell. And it all depends upon what you do with Jesus. God loved you so much, he gave his only son to die for you, pay the price for your sins so you could have a right relationship with God. I won't embarrass you. I wouldn't do that for anything. But do you care enough about yourself and where you're going to spend eternity to let this evangelist pray for you tonight? A man, a woman, a teenager, a young person, young adult, anyone at all, say, Tim, truth of the matter is I'm not 100% for sure if I died that I would go to heaven and I don't want to go to hell and I want you to pray for me. Would you just quietly slip your hand up? Put your hand up for a moment. Make sure that I see it. And then you can take it right back down. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else at all? Up above or down below? Tim, I'm not for sure if I died. I'd go to heaven. Anyone else at all? Just slip your hand up. I saw your hand a moment ago, buddy. Anyone else? Pastor. I'm going to ask if you'll come and stand here by the Lord's Supper table tonight. If you want to be saved, I don't want you to come and kneel at the altar. I want you to come directly to our pastor. And when you come to him, he's going to know why you're coming. And we'll take the Bible tonight and show you how you can leave here with your sins forgiven. Christians, let's mind God in the next few moments. Let's do serious business with God in this place tonight. Would you stand to your feet? Christians, everyone's able to stand my brother begins to sing. Come on, right now. No hesitation. Come on, let's do business with God right now. Come on. Come on, if you were serious when you raised your hand, let's come and do business with God tonight. Is America worth it? Is your country worth it? We're not going to sing long. We're not waiting long. It's a time to come. Oh, sinful nation. Wow. A people laden with iniquity. They're gone away backwards. That means they're backslidden. Oh, 
our heads are bowed and Christians are praying. Now, folks, if you know me at all, I don't have long, drawn-out invitations unless I really believe God's leading otherwise. Now, I'm not trying to intimidate anyone to do something, so you need to believe that. But there was two-thirds of this congregation a while ago said, I want to get that kind of a burden for my country. That means we have to humble ourselves. We have to get real, get right with God. There were a bunch who said, I know I'm saved, but I'm out of the will of God. What are you going to do? You're just going to keep going down the same path, down the same road, doing the same old things, and expecting there to be a change? It won't work. Tomorrow night, our last night of this crusade, I will preach the most important message that I will have preached this week. We have more people saved when I preach this message than any other time. So here's the deal. I'm asking you to get a burden for your family and your friends and your neighbors and invite them to come tomorrow night. If they live within an hour's drive of McLeansburg and you're not for sure they're saved. And when we get out of here tonight, send them a text. Send them an email. Call them. So I want you to come to church with me tomorrow night, 630. 10 Mile Baptist Church. If you're not for sure you're saved after we're through here, I'm going to slip out. I'll be out in the main entry area. Pastor's going to be around. Others are going to be here. Don't leave here lost. It's a miserable thing not to know where you're going to spend eternity. It's a miserable thing. You can look up here. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you for being patient tonight. I hope you'll take this burden with you. And uh, not let it just stir you for a few moments, but actually change and cause you to do something about it. We just would like to thank you for watching today's sermon. And we pray that it has been a blessing and an encouragement in your walk with Jesus Christ. Today, as you have been listening to this sermon, Maybe you have been thinking, the Holy Spirit's been working, but I'd like to know more about Jesus. I'm not sure if I've ever been saved. Please reach out and contact us. We would love to share the gospel with you, pray with you with whatever's going on in your life. Or maybe you are a believer, but yet you've got some spiritual battles that you've just not been able to conquer. We'd love to join you in that battle. So please reach out to us. We would love and are waiting to hear from you. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name.